And so today is Palm Sunday in the year of our Lord, 2022. And before we return to our study through the book of Genesis, I want to, this week and next week, share with you by the Lord's good grace, two messages relative to the church calendar, this being Palm Sunday and next Sunday being Resurrection or Easter Sunday. So today's reading is Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 40. Reading from the New King James Version, this is the familiar triumphal entry of our Lord Jesus into Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey. Verse 28, when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a coat tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you losing it? Thus you shall say to him, behold, or excuse me, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it, or need of him. And then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on, on the colt, on him. And as he went, many as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of Yahweh, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered them, And said, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And there ends the reading of God's infallible and inerrant word. Back in the year 1889, Myra Maybell Shirley Reed passed away. Actually, she was shot to death. She was gunned down in an ambush. Now, that may not be familiar to you because this woman was better known by her outlaw name, Belle Starr. She was one of the few female outlaws and criminals in the Old West, and so she had gained a widespread notoriety. Well, one day, the famous hanging judge, Isaac Parker, who served courts in Missouri and Arkansas, was attempting to try a case, but he couldn't get the courtroom's attention. Even the members of the jury had wandered from the jury box to stare out of the courtroom windows. The source of all that excitement was the outlaw Belle Star riding her horse through town, and everyone wanted to catch a glimpse of her. The judge had to call a five-minute recess to deal with the distraction. Maybe you and I can imagine a similar distraction, a similar amount of attention on the day Jesus entered Jerusalem. Now, he was no outlaw, of course, even though the Judaistic and Roman law would put him to death. But his time has now come in the order of events of his life. He's not hiding his identity any longer. There's no use delaying the inevitable date with God's predicted destiny and foreordained destiny that he has. He sends two of his disciples into a village to acquire a young donkey, or colt as it's called here. And he and his followers had probably come by foot all the way from the Galilee. 
And I can tell you, having made that journey myself from the Galilee region down to Jerusalem, and I did it by means of a tour bus, on foot it must have been quite a challenge to do that. But now for the, for the last two miles of their journey, Jesus desires to ride this colt or donkey. You know, this is one of these places where we need to stop and ask the question, why? To properly answer that question, we should see Jesus in his context. He's not here following a script written for him by later theologians. No, there's only one answer to the questions why. It's because Jesus was deliberately acting out the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, where the prophet says, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So when the disciples brought the donkey to Jesus, as we read, they threw their cloaks on the animal, and then they helped Jesus get on. And then as they ride into the city, as he does, the people began to spread their own cloaks and coats on the road. And they began to, it says, praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I don't know about you, but when I read those words or hear those words, it makes me immediately think of the, the words, uh, an occasion of the incarnation of Jesus in Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. But the striking thing is, is that, yes, at his birth, he's come into a world that is ultimately, or at least the people for whom he initially has come, they're going to reject him. And as evidenced by these events that we see in these verses and the coming verses on Easter Sunday, we find that he comes into a city that will reject him as well. But this just isn't any city. This is the city of Jerusalem, the city of the temple of Yahweh. Unlike any other city on the face of the earth, this is the home of the king. And they reject him. But at this stage, at least, the people are all singing his praises. In fact, they're so rowdy that the Pharisees take notice. They're getting a little uneasy. And according to verse 39, they say, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. That is, tell them to shut up. To which Jesus replies in verse 40, I tell you, if they keep quiet, well, even the stones will scream out. And he means praising him. You know, I think by most any standard, this would be considered a wonderful story. And it is no surprise that Christians all over the world have been and are and will be celebrating Palm Sunday today. Because it is a word of hope in a world of despair, then and now. It is a word of hope before entering a week in which we remember the betrayal, the agony, the death, and yes, the resurrection of Jesus. All of that being betrayed into the hands of sinful men. Now, from this story and on this Palm Sunday, there are three things that I'm going to ask you to consider with me this morning. And the first one has to do with the cult, the donkey. You know, uh, if we were asked to choose an animal to ride in a parade, I dare say a donkey would not be our first choice. And regarding Palm Sunday... I remember reading how a woman wrote an essay saying that Palm Sunday always reminds her of a time when her mother was a little girl. Her mother told her this story about her own youth. She said when her mother was a child, she often would look through the pages of the Sears and Roebuck catalog. And invariably, her eye would always stop on a donkey pulling a cute little red cart behind it. Now, 
Some of you have no idea what, it, what a Sears Roebuck catalog even is. You maybe can guess. You know, it used to be this very thick, almost like, you know, a Chicago phone book size catalog with all these different things that Sears and Roebuck sells as a department store. But what some of you may not know, even though people my age who remember those catalogs, there was a time even earlier to which this story refers when you could actually order livestock, farm animals, out of the Sears Roebuck catalog. Well, her mother as a child said she loved the idea whenever she'd see that picture in that catalog, of having a cute little donkey to help her haul things around on the farm, especially with that little red cart. And she begged and begged her father to buy her that cute little donkey in the catalog, and finally he gave in, he bought it. And she told her daughter that when that donkey arrived, though, it was not cute and it was not little, and it did not have a cart attached to it. She said it was dirty and it smelled awful. And as hard as she tried, she could not get that donkey to move an inch. No matter what she did, he just would stand there staring at her. You know, donkeys have a reputation for being like that, stubborn, smelly. And this is where the biblical reality often coincides, or excuse me, collides with our imagination. You know, donkeys have played an important role in rural areas of the world throughout history. As a matter of fact... If you go to a biblical concordance like Strong's or do a computer search on your Bible software program, or better yet, believe it or not, there's a Bible website, an online website, called BibleDonkeys.com. I kid you not. And it goes into a lot of detail about the history of these animals and how many times they're mentioned and in what connection in the Bible. So despite their image of being lowly and stubborn, Donkeys have served humanity in many, many positive ways. In the Middle East, even today, donkeys are still used as beasts of burden. And of all the animals in the world, the donkey is probably the most hardworking, the humblest, and probably the most abused. One of the articles I was reading said this about them. The donkey has a natural caution, a natural timidity, which is often mistaken for stubbornness, provoking unknowing owners to beat them. And yet, the prophet Zechariah prophesied the Messiah would arrive gentle and riding on a donkey. Some of you know the name of Corey Ten Boom, the Dutch author and famous Christian author and woman. She was once asked if it was difficult for her to remain humble when she began to be the focus of so, much, so many accolades and attention for her Christian writing. And here's what she said in response to that question. She said, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey, and everyone was waving palm branches, throwing garments on the road, and singing praises, do you think for one moment it ever entered the head of that donkey that any of that was for him? I thought that was a pretty good reply. So it sort of captures our imagination that Jesus rode a colt, the foal of a donkey, on Palm Sunday. It was a sign of his humility, and we may say of his commitment to peace. And that is in contrast, or will be, to the second thing, and that's the reaction of the crowd. The crowds were welcoming Jesus as a liberator from political oppression. See, they're expecting, the whole area at that time in history was like a bubbling cauldron of revolutionary ferment. The Jews, they had been captive in Babylon. They had been set free. They returned to Jerusalem to the promised land only to find themselves still captive in their own homeland, this time by the Romans. And they about had enough of it. And as they're going to find out, 
so has Almighty God, but not for the same reason. Now, the word that they're screaming out here to Jesus is Hosanna, which literally means save us. And they don't mean that in a salvific, save my soul sense. They meant in a, well, that and a whole lot more, like deliver us from these Romans. And that was common in biblical times to spread garments on the path of princes and kings, especially during their coronations. And as you may have already noticed and heard, the phrases Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, we heard them earlier in our Older Testament reading today from Psalm 118, 25 and 26. This psalm, along with Psalms 113 to 118, are known as the halal or praise psalms, often read during Passover celebrations. Now, in the popular mind of that day, the idea, the expectation of the Messiah's arrival was the idea, as I just alluded to, that he would come and destroy the tyranny of the Romans who ruled over them. So they're in a mood to celebrate because they think that's what this is all about. You ever been a part of a big celebration like that? Uh, A journalist once gave an exciting account of the scene in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania back in 1996. The Pittsburgh Steelers had defeated the Indianapolis Colts to become American uh, Conference champions and earned a trip thereby to beat the or to meet the Dallas Cowboys in the Super Bowl 30. I don't know who won that Super Bowl, by the way. Maybe some of you do. But the whole city of Pittsburgh went crazy. At that point, it had been 16 years since the Steelers had been to a Super Bowl. They were there were impromptu parties, dancing in the streets as thousands of people got together, hugging each other and singing. Maybe it was something on that order when the people welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. Unfortunately, the people had it all wrong. They were only welcoming Jesus as a political revolutionary liberator. No wonder they would eventually, very soon actually, turn against him when they discovered that he's not about political revolution. He's about spiritual renewal. He's about kingdom renewal and reconstruction. At that point, the people of God and their society has been deconstructed by Roman paganism. Jesus comes as God's anointed one to reconstruct it according to God's law. He's not about riots. He's about living according to God's law word. He wasn't interested in setting up a Jewish kingdom, but of reintroducing and reestablishing God's kingdom. And the people, they would be disappointed. And then they would become angry, and then they would become violent, and they would consent to his being crucified. Now, if you'll allow me a personal note, much to my and maybe perhaps some of your delight, we are finally getting back into baseball season. It reminds me of a story I heard about a professional ball player who was asked what it was like to be the hero of so many young people, the great baseball star. And here's what he said. He said, well, there was one game in which I played that made me take all of that adulation with a grain of salt. He said, I was at bat four times. I hit two home runs. I hit a double. And then my last time up, I struck out. The crowd went crazy for those first three at bats, but they booed me like I was the worst guy in the world when I struck out. Sports fans are fickle, aren't they? And you know why? Because that's the way people are in general. Notice how quickly public opinion changes even today. Any person who puts too much stock in what the polls say or the media says at any one time is going to be disillusioned, and you're being lied to outright in many cases. Certainly the crowd that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem 
that day, they would change their minds in a hurry. The, the, many of them who yelled out Hosanna on Palm Sunday, they were most certainly among the mob that would later yell crucify him. We have no king but Caesar just a few days later. Okay, so we, we, we take note of this animal that Jesus is riding and its connection to the prophecy of Zechariah. We, we see what the crowds are doing and what they will eventually do. And then thirdly and finally, let's note the reaction of the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees are the theologians of the time. They are the gatekeepers of the true faith. They saw this as their responsibility to keep the faith of their fathers. And Jesus, you don't have to read too far in the Gospels to find this out. He is a threat to their traditions and their doctrines. When Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey, the Pharisees, as well as Christ's own disciples, were certainly aware of the messianic implications of what he was doing. They realized there was a connection with Older Testament prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. And that is another part of the story that largely goes right over our heads because we don't read it in context. I mean, think about this. Given the highly charged atmosphere of thousands of pilgrims already pouring into Jerusalem for the annual festival of Passover, and considering how Jesus deliberately chooses to enter Jerusalem in such an intentionally conspicuous and symbolic way, and seeing how this would automatically evoke feelings of national liberation and fervor, that action, at that very minimum, would profoundly be a dangerous thing to do. And when the Pharisees hear these crowds shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he come in the name of the Lord, they say to Jesus, teacher, make these disciples be quiet. Apparently, they were afraid that such a tumultuous amount of activity would attract the attention of the Roman authorities, and they in turn would waste no time in sending in a company of soldiers to squelch what could have been seen by them as the beginning of an insurrection. So Jesus, excuse me, the Jews, not Jesus, the Jews had already been a thorn in the Romans' side already. And if Jesus continues to, to be seen as this political messiah, an insurrectionist, all the might of the vast Roman Empire would be arrayed against the people of Palestine. So that's why the, the, the Pharisees are very upset about this. They want, they want things to keep quiet. They already don't like Jesus. But you know, the supreme irony is that Jesus had already warned them. He said that if they, the leaders of the Jews, rejected him, then that is precisely what would happen to them anyway. And as we learn from Matthew 24 and Luke 21, and as recorded in secular history, that is precisely what did happen in A.D. 70. But there's no turning back now at this point for Jesus or any of the rest of them. Jesus says to the Pharisees again, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will scream out. In other words, he's saying, the die has been cast. The chips are down. There's no stopping the forces that have been set in motion now. This is why I've come. Even if you quiet the crowd, the rest of the events will play out just as my father planned and intended. I think it's important to understand that this is no simple human drama of a good man being crushed by the forces of evil. This is God's son laying down his life to rescue his people and restore the kingdom. Palm Sunday, you see, is not a standalone application. It doesn't exist in isolation from anything else. It is the beginning of what has been dubbed in many churches 
Holy Week when we remember the suffering and death and resurrection of our Lord. Christ riding upon a donkey. He's welcomed with the hallelujahs and the hosannas. The Pharisees get very uncomfortable with all of this and they ask him to quiet the crowd and he indicates to them it's too late. The drama must be played out, the divine drama, the drama that gives hope to a fallen world. Now we read this, and as I said, it's not a standalone story, because it begs the question, what about us? Are we, where do we fit in here? Are we the fickle follower or the angry Pharisee? Or are we like the humble tax collector, also mentioned in the Gospel according to Luke chapter 18, who Jesus praised in contrast to the Pharisee because he stood before God, one of the most hated men in that culture, the tax collector, and he beat his breast and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Are you asking God to bless the kingdom you are trying to build, or are you a loyal part of his kingdom? Somebody once said, you know, uh, God is my co-pilot, Jesus is my co-pilot. And somebody said, well, let me tell you something. If Jesus is your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. You know, maybe some of us need to stop being so sure about the failures of others to obey the Lord and take a long, hard look at our own record of fidelity. None of us are following him the way we should. We all need to evaluate our lives every day. Are you aware that studies show that the person that we most regularly deceive is we ourselves. You know, we are great at telling ourselves that we're doing our very best, while all the sinners around us are really not living up to the standard. They're not doing their best. Yeah, the people outside of Jerusalem were excited. They were so eager for a king that would meet their expectations that they turned away from the very one who could change their lives forever. My friends, let us make sure we don't make the mistake they did. Let us pray.